All right, well, good morning once again. As always, so good to, to see all of you. And once again, happy Father's Day to all the dads here, all the dads who are watching online. I hope that you are blessed today, encouraged today, honored today. Carl Deal, Damon Barnes, Daryl Sanders, Joseph David Falls, Leonard Doyle Ray, Mark Fair, Matthew Stager, Milton Young, Travis Byram, Thomas Tyson. Uh, some of these individuals are dads, some are not. Some are young, some are old, some are mature believers, some are newer Christians. And these are names that have some meaning to me, but my guess is little to no meaning to, to any of you. Well, today in our passage, the Apostle Paul is going to share with us a list of names that for most of us are going to have little to, to no meaning. But as we'll soon see, the mere inclusion of this list of names will have powerful and profound implications for each and every one of us. So if you have your Bibles, we're uh, continuing our Roman series with chapter 16, the final chapter, uh, beginning with verse 1. Paul writes, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epenetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my fellow Jews who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, my dear friend in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our co-worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, whose fidelity to Christ has stood the test. Greet those who belong to the household of Asterbalus, Aristopolis. Greet Herodian, my fellow Jew. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Ensecretus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the other brothers and sisters with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the Lord's people who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. Now, if you remember at the very beginning of this letter, which has been quite some time for, for us, uh, Paul begins this letter, he opens it up by saying something to the extent of, I am so thankful for all of you. He says, I think about you all the time. I remember you every single time I pray, and I cannot wait until I can come and visit you. And at first glance, it kind of seems like a, a very cliche, generic greeting, something you might say at the beginning of every single letter. But here at the end of the letter, as Paul is beginning to wrap things up, he begins to actually identify some of the individuals that come to mind when he thinks about the church in Rome. That when he's saying things like, I'm so thankful for you, I think about you all the time, I beg God to let me come and see you, he's not just thinking about an organization, he's not thinking about some fancy church building, he's not thinking 
about speaking in front of a large conference or a random group of Christians, but rather he's thinking about specific people. And you can just imagine him kind of, well, I imagine him kind of just writing this section, just reflecting upon these people, thinking to himself like, ah, oh, Priscilla and Aquila, oh. you know, we've been through thick and thin. So grateful for all of them. You know, Penitus, I remember leading that guy to Jesus, first person when I was in Asia. Andronicus, Junia, man, we did some hard times together, best cellmates I've ever had. Apelles, the guy's solid. It's like a rock. Not physically, but spiritually. Maybe physically too, we don't know. Mary, Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persis, sisters in Christ who are strong, faithful leaders in the church. And Paul goes on to list 26 individuals. He addresses five different house churches. And amongst them... Uh, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, old and young, educated and uneducated, long-time faithful believers, new Christians, strong, effective leaders, long, faithful members. And there's a lot that we don't know about these individuals. And there's a lot that we'll, we'll never know. But the one thing we do know, the one thing that's obvious here is that Paul feels really good about these people. Right? He, he really genuinely likes them. There's a deep sense of love and affection, respect and admiration, gratitude and joy. And Paul's desire here is to bestow honor upon these people. Every time this letter is read, whenever, wherever. He wants these people to be encouraged. He wants them to be affirmed. He wants them to be celebrated, applauded, embraced and support it. And for, for a lot of us today, it's, it's really hard to fully grasp the sheer significance of what Paul is doing in a culture that is built on this notion of honor and shame. Right? In honor-shame cultures, which was prevalent throughout most of the world, throughout most of history, one sense of esteem, one sense of value and worth, it wasn't something that you determined for yourself. It wasn't how you thought about yourself. It wasn't about inner feelings, something that was subjective, but rather your sense of worth in this world was completely based on what other people thought of you, how they perceived you. Your esteem was defined by your, your group, by your surrounding, your peers, your family members, your social class, your city, your community. In other words, your significance, your importance in this world, it was defined by public opinion, period. How others saw you, nothing more, nothing less. And in the first century Greco-Roman culture, the things that mattered, the things that society valued were things like wealth, education, family pedigree, political influence. Right? The more you had, the more valuable you were. The less you had, the less valuable you were. And thus, honor was something you either attained or something that you, you lost. I have some friends who will tell their kids before basketball games, jokingly, but with a little bit of truth, they'll say, just you know, go out there, have fun, no pressure, you don't have to play well. 
but just don't embarrass the family. In other words, don't bring dishonor upon yourself or upon the family. Or in the same way, in the first century, everything you did, every action, every interaction was an opportunity to either gain honor, to increase your value and worth, or to, to lose honor. And thus what Paul is doing here in honoring these people, it's, it's a big deal. But what's an even bigger deal, what makes this profound, is not merely that Paul is honoring people, that's, that's what people did, that's what you live for, that's what you strive for, but it's the kinds of people that he's choosing to honor. A couple weeks ago, we had a baptism out in our parking lot, a youth baptism, and eight of our youth were baptized, uh, ranging from eighth grade to graduating senior in high school. And, and I was here just kind of observing, supporting, and I got to tell you, I was just blown away by the testimonies of our youth. One by one, they got up there talking about who Jesus was to them, what their faith meant to them. And I was convicted, I was humbled, I was inspired, I was so grateful and excited to just see what God was doing. And after the baptism was over, I made, did my best to make my rounds and just encouraging and affirming those who got baptized. But I made sure that I went to every single one of our youth staff to encourage them, to thank them, to affirm them, to honor them. Right? Because they were obviously doing something right in light of what God was doing amongst our youth, right? And it, and it makes sense why one would honor our youth staff in light of what God was doing in our youth, right? Nobody would question that. In the same way, in the first century, if Paul were to have only honored those who were wealthy, those who were educated, those who came from families of nobility, it would have made perfect sense why Paul was honoring those people. Nobody would have questioned it. But what wouldn't have made sense, what doesn't make sense here in this section is Paul is honoring those people whom society deemed as unworthy of honor. People like the Jews, women, former slaves, the working poor, the uneducated. And yet here Paul is elevating those people to the same status those who were wealthy, those who were successful, those who were influential. Paul is honoring them when no one else saw honor or value. And that presents a, a challenge for each and every one of us today. that those whom society valued so little, Paul sees as deeply invaluable. And because he sees them as invaluable, he feels love and affection, respect and admiration, gratitude, and joy. And it's not like culture was moving in that direction and Paul just followed suit. It wasn't like there were social justice groups advocating for these people and Paul was just hopping on the bandwagon. Paul is going against the grain. He is swimming upstream. He is pushing against culture and attributing value where no one else did. And it's not like these people had it all together. 
You know, they, they weren't just these perfect diamonds in the rough that Paul discovered. Uh, these were some broken, sinful, imperfect people too. Right? We know from earlier in this letter that amongst them there was some bickering, there was some tension, there was some infighting. That amongst them some were vegetarians and they were being very judgmental and critical to those who were eating meat. And there were some meat lovers who were causing the vegetarians to struggle by flaunting their grills and their smokers. And within both groups, there were people who refused to fellowship with one another, refused to eat together and gather, right? And there was division and there was disunity and they were making things difficult on each other. Yet despite all of that, despite how society viewed them, Paul sees them as worthy of honor. And it's not because Paul is just this nice person with a big heart. We know from Paul's journey that young Paul would never approve of what old Paul is doing, of what he's feeling, what he's writing, that there was a time in Paul's life where he couldn't stand any Christian, a time when he was perfectly fine arresting them, separating their families, putting some of them to death. And thus Paul feeling good about any believer, in addition to those whom society deemed as unworthy, in addition to those who were broken, sinful, imperfect, was nothing short of a miracle. And that miracle is the gospel, the good news of all that God has done through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, changing and transforming Paul's heart. Everything that Paul has just written in this letter now being expressed and demonstrated in Paul's thoughts and in his emotions and how he felt. You see, what we see throughout Scripture is the gospel constantly pushing the envelope. The gospel constantly expanding the boundaries in terms of who was valuable and worthy in the eyes of the Lord. Now, we live in a world today that's extremely diverse. Now, this might just be me, but the older I get, as time goes on, things only seem to become more and more diverse. Different opinions, different beliefs, different perspectives, worldviews, different ways of, of doing life. And thus, regardless of, of where we stand on certain issues, regardless of which way we lean, we all have things that we agree with and things we disagree with. Things we like, things we don't like, things we embrace, things we reject. And thus, in my opinion, I believe that the greatest challenge, the biggest challenge for us as believers, as the church, is not only to simply discern what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, what God wants and what God doesn't want, although that's important. But I think the biggest challenge for us is the ability to honor the other, to honor those we disagree with, to honor those who oppose us, to honor those whose lives are, are vastly different. And by honor, I don't mean to simply, you know, what we say, what we do, but what we feel in our hearts, that we are able to genuine and sincerely honor them in our hearts. That we can feel love 
and affection, respect and admiration, gratitude and joy, regardless of what someone believes, regardless of who they are, regardless of how they choose to live their life. For the past several months, uh, I've been volunteering as a, as a mentor in a ministry that I found on Google called Crossroads Prison Ministry. And it sounds more intense than it, than it is, but basically I get mailed a packet every week, and within that packet is a workbook that an, uh, someone who's incarcerated has completed. And I simply get that workbook and I go through that workbook and I write a handwritten letter to that person in response to the answers that they've submitted, to the questions that they may have, the prayer requests, the, anything that they share with me. I write them a letter in response to that. And those names that I read off to you at the beginning of this service are the individuals that I've had the privilege of, of mentoring over these past few months. And I don't know a whole lot about these individuals. In fact, I know very little. I know their name. I know where they are serving their sentence. I know what they've shared with me in their workbooks. And I know they've committed some crime or multiple crimes. And I can only imagine the kind of pain and damage that they've inflicted on someone, somewhere, at some time. But I also know that regardless of what they've done, regardless of their legal status, regardless of how society may view them, I know that because of who God is, because of how God sees them, because of what God has done for them, they are worthy of the highest honor. That they are invaluable and precious in the eyes of God. That they are fully loved, they are cherished, they are adored. And the challenge for me is to not merely give lip service to that, but to, to feel that for every single one of them. To feel that love and affection, that respect and admiration, that gratitude and joy, and to allow that to fuel everything that I write in that letter. And you see, that's the same challenge for every single one of us when it comes to every single person around us, both near and far especially those who we don't feel that way towards. And you see, while we may have some very good reasons why we don't like certain people, and while our peers may actually support our dislike for certain people, the reality is that God really, really likes those people. And he has called us and empowers us by the Holy Spirit to do the same. And the reason we can, and the reason we should, is because that is what God has done for us. Right Earlier in this letter, Romans chapter 5, Paul says, but God demonstrates his own love in us, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were least 
deserving, God elevated us. He valued us. He honored us by sending Jesus to live amongst us, to die for us. And through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we get to experience nothing but grace and mercy. We are forgiven. We are adopted as sons and daughters. And may, we are made worthy of all blessing and honor. That because of Jesus, you are worthy of honor. So as we close our time this morning, as we move back into worship through song and praise, who are those people in our life right now that God is calling us to, to honor in our hearts? Who are those people that, that we're struggling to feel love and affection, respect and admiration, gratitude and joy? And as we invite the Spirit to speak, as we invite God to, to lead us and highlight those people in our lives, let us remember on who we are in the eyes of God because of all that God has done for us. Will you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the grace and the mercy and the kindness that you extend to us every moment of every day. We thank you for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that we're forgiven, that we are loved, that we are cherished, that we have been adopted as your sons and daughters, made worthy of all blessing and honor. And as we consider all that you've done for us, God, pray that you would give us the supernatural ability to do the same for others. That we would see them the way that you see them, regardless of who they are, regardless of what they believe, regardless of how they live their lives. That, God, you would use us as your church to be your heart to be your hands, to be your feet here in this world, God. But God, only you can do that in us. Only you can give us a heart like yours. And we ask for it. We invite it. We invite your spirit to move in each and every one of us. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.